Okay. <laughs> Starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The title of my message this morning is Pray, 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 and Pray Some More. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing to us things that we need to hear personally and as a congregation. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing here in our fellowship, for the growth, for the opportunities to minister to more people, Lord. And that's a great blessing. Do pray, Lord, your your wisdom upon uh, the steps we need to take as we further on in, in this uh, adventure in the new facility. Lord, we thank you for our veterans. And we pray your blessing upon them and their families. And thank you for their service. And now, Lord, we ask that you just speak to our hearts through your word this morning. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again yet. Lord, we pray that you would touch their heart and they would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. So bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. read a story about a journalist who was assigned to the uh, Jerusalem Bureau of, of his newspaper, and he got an apartment that overlooked the welling wall there in Jerusalem. After several weeks, he realized that whenever he looked at the wall, he saw this one particular old Jewish man praying vigorously. So he wondered to himself, I wonder if there's a story that I can publish in that. And so he goes down to the wall and he introduces himself to the older gentleman and says, you come here every day to the wall. What are you praying for? The man replies, what am I praying for? (laughs) In the morning, I pray for world peace. Then I pray for the brotherhood of man. I go home, have a glass of tea, and I come back and I pray for the eradication of illness and disease from the earth. Well, the journalist is taken by the old man's sincerity and persistence. And he says, you mean to tell me you've been coming to this wall to pray every single day for these things? The old man nods. Well, how long have you been coming to the wall to pray? He says, well, maybe 20, 25 years. Well, the journalist was amazed. And he finally asked, how does it feel to come and pray every day for over 20 years for these things? How does it feel? The old man replies, it feels like I'm talking to a wall. I thought it was funny. No one laughed first service, so I don't. How about this? When you heard that Google made a phone, a prayer app for atheists, you open it up and it rings and rings and rings and nobody answers. Have you ever felt that way? That you're praying to a wall or no one is listening? Listen, God's Word clearly tells us that He hears our prayers, that He listens. First John 5.15 and If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. 
For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And now as we come to the conclusion of the book of James, we see him raising once again the very important subject of prayer. Something he has touched on a number of times throughout our studies. And since James is a very practical book, he's going to give us four specific practical applications on why prayer is so important and when we are to pray. This is our four points this morning, if you're taking, if you're taking notes. It's important that we, number one, pray when we are afflicted, pray when we are sick, pray when we are corrupted by sin, and pray when we have specific needs. So number one, we should pray when we are afflicted. Look now at verse 13. James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, the word suffering can also be translated trouble or distressed. Is anyone among you distressed? Is anyone among you experiencing trouble in your life? James tells us then to pray. Now, that's not usually my first reaction. If I'm in distress or if I'm in a conflict with someone, the temptation for me is to, and maybe for you, is to respond first, seek God later, to want to move quick and deal with something instead of just seeking the Lord. But God's word tells us that when we are afflicted, when there's trouble, and even when we're suffering, we need to pray first, not last. You know, you hear people say, well, we've done all that we could. I guess now all we can do now is is pray. No, you should have started with prayer in the first place. Now, why? Well, for one, it just may be that God may remove that problem because of you praying. That's not to say that God will always take away your afflictions or your troubles, but it's easy to say that, that, that sometimes He just might. Then you don't even have to deal with it because you prayed, you sought the, the Lord, and God took care of it, and it's been settled. So simply by bringing it before the Lord first and acknowledging your need and dependence upon Him, God can lift that problem that you're presently facing without you doing anything. But if God doesn't remove that problem, Prayer can also give us the grace that we need to get through it to the end and be brought much closer to the Lord. Now, one thing we must pray for when troubles do come our way, and we've looked at this, James tells us to pray for wisdom. Remember that in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So why would I ask for wisdom? Well, I think, for one, in order to try and discern why you're going through what you're going through. Lord, why is this happening? Is this affliction? Is this trouble that I'm I'm facing? Is it my fault? Is it a result of my own disobedience? Because trouble and hardship and difficulties can come in my life because of my own disobedience. For instance, your marriage might be falling apart. You're saying, well, God, how come this is, uh, you've allowed this to happen in my marriage? Well, why, why is this happening to me? Well, maybe the reason is you. Maybe because you've been, you know, horrible in your marriage. Maybe you've been a jerk towards your spouse. Ever think about that? You've not loved your wife as Christ called you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You've not respected your husband and submitted to him as unto the Lord. And now you're having problems in your marriage and you're blaming each other and even blaming God. Oh God, I don't know why I'm just having these problems in my marriage. And God says, because you're not obeying my word when it comes to your marriage. You're bringing this affliction, you're bringing this suffering upon yourself. 
God wants to bless your marriage, but you've got to do what he tells you to do. Now, we should also pray for wisdom because sometimes our afflictions are not coming because of our disobedience to God. Sometimes our afflictions, our troubles come because we are obedient to God. We looked at that in our last study, our dear old friend Job and all of the hardship that came upon him because, you know, the Bible says he was a perfect and upright man, a man that feared God and shunned evil. And sometimes, like Job, when we are obedient to the Lord and God is using you, the devil comes along and wants to send his agents to harass you and discourage you and attack you. I think about Nehemiah when he was building the wall of Jerusalem and it had been torn down and it's lying there in rubble. And God had directed him to, to rebuild the walls. And as soon as he started to undertake this great work of the Lord, we read that, that a man named Sambalot opposed him and just came and started attacking him and threatening him. So what does Nehemiah do? Does he get a restraining order taken out on Sambalot? Does he really stop what he's doing and, and run and hide? No, Nehemiah did what James says we should all do when we are afflicted, when we are troubled. He prayed. Listen to Nehemiah 4, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. So he prayed, but he also prayed judgment on these guys. He cried out to God. He brought the problem to the Lord. And when we get overwhelmed, we need to crowd even more to the Lord. David told us in Psalm 61, 2, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Help me to get focused. Help me to turn to you in prayer, Lord. So that's what we need to do when we are in trouble. But what about when things are going well? Well, James has words for us to, for there too. James says, look at verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So it's important to not only turn to God in times of hardship, but also to rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Maybe you're at that place in your life right now. All is going well. God has just blessed you abundantly. And you're just experiencing a time on the mountaintop. And you're just praising the Lord, enjoying it. You've got to come down sometime. I know that. I know it's, it's true. But while you're there, James tells us, praise God by singing psalms. Let him sing psalms. Let me tell you, there's something special about singing the Psalms. Really, I remember in the early days of Calvary Chapel when I first got saved and, and I went to the church for the first time. I was raised Roman Catholic. And so, you know, we didn't have this contemporary Christian music. And there was a guy up there with a the guitar and, and, and he was playing. This is many years ago. And he's singing these songs. And I, and I learned, man, that's a great song. And I came home and I opened my Bible and I'm reading the Psalms. I'm going, this, we're saying this today. This, this is in the Bible. I mean, it was, it was really, a, it was very cool. I think we need a revival of, of singing the Psalms in Scripture. Maybe you remember, I think it was Psalm 34, 1 and 2. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands. And we used to do that in rounds. We'd do this side, this side, and this side. It was awesome. Not just the Psalms. We, you know, I remember singing Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. It was one of my favorites. Ho, everyone that thirst is, come ye to the waters. He that has no money, come ye by and eat. And that's why I liked it. Hearken diligently to me and eat that which is good. And your soul will delight itself in fatness, fatness. And everybody's saying, fatness, fatness. 
But we're learning the Psalms. We're learning God's Word. We're singing God's Word. It was awesome. And I really think that should be something that should mark us as Christians. We should be a singing church. We as God's people should be a singing people. And I know there are times we just don't feel like singing to the Lord. We don't feel like praising the Lord. But Hebrews thirteen fifteen reminds us, Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Notice it refers to a sacrifice of praise. There are times uh, when praising the Lord is indeed a sacrifice. At times where it's not something I, I want to do. I don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood to worship the Lord. I have a cold. I have a problem. This is going wrong. That's going wrong. But really, why do we worship the Lord in the first place? Because He is worthy. It's not about us. It's about Him. He deserves my praise. He deserves my honor. It's a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice well worth making. So is anyone cheerful? Sing psalms. This brings us to point number two. What about when we're sick? James says, point two, we should pray when we're sick. Look at verse 14 and part of verse 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now this passage has, here has been one where there's been a lot of controversy over its meaning. I've read many different uh, things concerning healings. In fact, the reason that I can stand up here today as a believer in Jesus Christ is because there was at a point in my life 43 years ago, I was seriously looking to God to heal my wife, Lisa. But instead of finding uh, the healing, I found the great healer, Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, there are many good, godly scholarly men who have studied this passage and there's kind of a disagreement as to exactly what is being implied here. But I believe that this passage primarily speaks of healing and, and physical healing. Not exclusively, because the Greek word there for is anyone sick is the word asthenio, which could be translated without strength. It describes a, a weakness effect of a weakening effect of sickness. So that's why I think it could be physical, but it, it could include emotionally and spiritually. But primarily, I believe in our text, we're dealing with a physical sickness because James goes on to say uh, uh, in verse 16, to pray for one another, pray that you may be healed. But I also believe that there are sicknesses that we'll talk about in a moment that is a result of sin in our lives. So James says, if you're sick, physically, emotionally, spiritually, three things that are to be done. Number one, call for the elders of the church. Number two, let them pray over you. And number three, anointing you with oil. So when someone's sick physically, and again, I think this can speak of all areas, but also maybe someone seriously ill, you know, if you've got a little runny nose, I'd love to pray with you, but, but you know, you can pray yourself, but, but you know, it's calm and cold. But, but there's something serious, perhaps even debilitating. James says, first and foremost, call for the elders of the church. Now, I want you to note this. It's important. The sick person is to take the initiative and call for the elders for a couple of reasons. Number one, first of all, the elders are not to be out scouting around, going door to door, looking for sick people. That's why you spread diseases, not help, help the, you know, get rid of them. But secondly, the reason you're to call for the elders is because elders aren't mind readers. 
We don't know if you're sick. We don't know what's going on in your life. And, and with the church growing the way we are, it's hard to get to everybody and find out what's happening. So you call for the elders of the church. Come on, I, I need prayer for something. Could, could you get the elders together so we can pray for you? Absolutely. And, and we don't want to miss anybody that needs prayer, uh, to, need to be prayed for. Prayed for. And then uh, you need to take the initiative and call here at the church. You know, maybe that's a, a thing that you can do. We got a new phone service going here at the church. We switched it over. That I hope is going to help us. But if you need a healing, maybe you can't get to church. Let us know. We can come to your house. You know, uh, and and help, or, or you know, after service, come up and say, "I need prayer." Just a practice that God has put forth in His Word that we are to do if if you need a healing. Now that again, that doesn't mean the elders can't come to you. You know, we can go to your home. We can make hospital visits. Well, now we can. I tell you, I was so frustrated when we were going through COVID, and we had people in our church in the hospital, and I'd want to go in to pray for them, and they wouldn't let me in. And it's like. I, the Bible tells me we need to come in and pray for those that are sick. Or oh, we have our chaplain here to take care of that. No, you don't have your chaplain. And I wrote emails and I complained and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so if you're sick, call for the elders. Secondly, the elders are to anoint with oil and pray for the sick. And then as that happens, verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up, him, him or her up, whatever the case may be. Now, this is something I think is very misunderstood. So I want you to note this. James says the instrument for raising up the sick person is not their own prayer, but the prayer of the elders. It's not their own faith alone, but the faith of the elders as they all agree together. And the power that raises up the sick person, look carefully, is not the elders' power of faith, but only it's God's divine intervention. James says the Lord will raise them up. Not some man walking around in a white suit knocking people down on the ground and shouting, be healed. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. It's a show that's a circus, really. But they want you to believe that somehow this person has a gift of healing by just touching their heads. Listen, if that were the case, then how come you're not at an emergency room in a hospital 24-7, seven days a week, every day, you know, healing these people as they come in. Now, James clearly sets those shenanigans aside when he says, let him call for the elders of the church. And again, this is another thing important to catch here. James says, elders, plural. I think that's great because God knows man's propensity to want to be noticed and want to know the secret formula. Because if one specific man prays and that person is healed, then people are going to go, well, I want that elder to pray for me because his prayers work. Those other guys, I don't know. And, and I want you to pray just like you prayed last time, the same exact words, so it'll happen again. And then you know what happens. That elder becomes a man of the hour and, and let him pray for you because when he prays, people are healed. And then they take it on the road and travel around collecting big bucks for so-called healing services. No, if you're sick, the Bible says, specifically call for the elders to pray. Doesn't say go to Benny Hinn. Doesn't say go to Kenny Copeland. No Kenny, no Benny. But it does tell you if you're fellowship here at the church, part of the church, you need to call for the elders. Because when you have a group of elders praying for you, no one man gets the glory. God gets the glory. Now we have... Five pastors here on staff 
at the church. Uh, it's me. It, it's our Greek uh, and Hebrew pastor, Pastor Bruce. I called him a geek pastor this morning, but uh, it's Greek and Hebrew. It's our worship pastor, Sean, our Pakistani pastor, Wakas, and finally our everything else that needs to be done around here, Pastor Joey and uh, my son. But we also have a, a group of men, a mix of elders and deacons, that when it's time to pray for someone, anoint them with oil, I will try to get as many of the leadership that I can see to come around and pray for that person. Now, if that person is healed, whose faith was it that brought the healing? Which elder was it? Which leader was it? Well, you don't know. Because there's a whole group of men, and, and of course, ultimately, it was the Lord. But you see, our tendency is to want to place attention on a person, but James is saying that, that keep your attention on the healer, on Jesus, not on the vessel. So we're to call for the elders, pastors of the church, they come and they pray and anoint you with oil. Now let's address the oil for a moment. The oil is not something necessarily, uh, the, 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 is not something that necessarily is the instrument for the healing. Now we have a little bottle that makes it easy to anoint someone. I've had this one, I don't know, it's maybe like Jesus feeding the 5,000 or something. I've been here 24 years and it's only been that high. And we pray a lot. I, I, just Maybe I don't put enough on. I, I don't know. Maybe I start, to, start dumping it. But, uh, but we just a little bottle like that, and, and, and that's what we use. But there are those who say, oh, you've got to have the right kind of oil. just can't be any oil. It's got to be the right kind of oil. And there are those that carry around the oil that they, they, they got right from the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem where Jesus prayed the prayer made directly from the olives that grow from those trees at only $500 an ounce. That's what we need. Listen, it could be Penn's oil. It could be three-in-one oil. It could be Western oil. The power is not in the oil. But there are those who sell the oil for big bucks, making money off of the God's people merchandising them. That's not where it's at at all. You know, originally, oil was, was meant for medicinal purposes. Isaiah 1.6 tells us, But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they've not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment or oil. And the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 34, says he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You know, Jesus has never said to have used oil in any of his healings. See, I believe the purpose of oil is, is, is symbolic. The oil speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, oil was a symbol of God's choice, of God's blessing. When the Israelites anointed a priest, ordained kings, or they were crowned, there was an anointing of oil that was poured on top of them. David, in Psalm 23, 5, says, Thou hast anointed my head with oil. This speaks of God working and moving and setting aside a person for the work that God wants to be done. So to anoint someone in the name of Jesus Christ with oil is really identifying with Jesus and standing on His authority with full access to the throne of heaven. And we're praying, uh, God, I'm using this oil as a symbol of the work of Your Holy Spirit and I'm asking You to do this work in this person's life. See, it represents the work of the Holy Spirit. And then they pray for you together in faith, asking the Lord to quicken the healing process or do a miracle if necessary or to help you through whatever the case may be. But I want you to know, you can pray with or without oil. If we happen to be totally out of oil, we can, can't find any anywhere. God still answers prayer because it is a prayer of faith. 
But the Bible says oil is to be used. And I think at times it's good because it can be a type of faith release. Where the person says, oh, if I just can pray with the elders and, and the pastors here at the church, and if they anoint me with oil, I know that God's going to heal me. And you put that oil on, and, and their faith is just, I know that I'm healed, and they're healed. Now, we don't need to fully understand why we use oil. We just simply need to use oil because we're told to use oil. That's what we're supposed to do. Then verse 14 we read, uh, where as we pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, it says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, that does not necessarily mean that every person we anoint with oil and every person we pray for is automatically going to be healed. Some people won't be. Even if great apostle Paul did not see everyone healed that he prayed for. He wrote to, to Timothy that he had to leave Trophimus, who was sick in Miletus. He said, this is, this is the great apostle Paul. Got to leave his buddy behind because he's sick. Well, Paul, why didn't you just pray for him? Well, I'm sure he did, but he wasn't healed. Again, Paul prayed for Epaphroditus, who was ill and almost died over in Philippians 2.27. And on one occasion, uh, Paul even told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Now, we're assuming that Timothy, you know, Paul's young son in the faith, as he calls him, had some sort of stomach issue going on. Well, why didn't Paul just pray for him? Well, I'm sure he did. But God doesn't always answer these prayers in the affirmative. God doesn't always heal everyone. And I'm sure after Paul prayed for Timothy, and Timothy was still sick, that's when Paul said, hey, take a little wine for your stomach. It'd be like coming here and praying for you, and then seeing, hey, you're still saying, you know what, have some Tylenol. Medication, God uses medication. I'm not against medication. But I, I'm, my, my focus is bring it to the Lord first. He's a good physician. He can heal before you even have to go down that road that's going to cost you. But the point is, if we pray for the healing, we must recognize that sometimes God says no. He may have another purpose in mind. Listen, God uses sickness in our life, I think, in three ways. First, he uses it to humble us. The Apostle Paul himself had this physical affliction. He called it the thorn in his flesh. Some commentators say that it was, had something to do with his eyesight. He had been, been stoned so many times that it affected his vision. It may have been something else, but we don't know. Whatever it was, listen to what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God said to Paul, I'm not going to heal you physically. My grace is sufficient for you, for your life. Why? Because God wanted to keep Paul humble. I mean, Paul, we read, was caught up in the third heaven. He saw things that are unimaginable. He couldn't even speak back what, what they were. Paul could have so easily been lifted up with pride. So the Lord allowed this thorn in his flesh, as Paul called it, a way of keeping him humble and totally dependent upon God. Another reason why, why God may allow sickness in your life as a way of discipline. Again, at verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Because at times when we are in sin, the only way to open our eyes to that sin is through illness. 
Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, There are many sick among you, or many among you who are weak, some who are sick, and even some who have died, because they have not properly discerned the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They hadn't been obedient. They weren't submitting themselves to the Lord. They, they, they've just been willfully and continually going down a road they shouldn't go down. Not discerning the Lord's body. Not looking to the Lord. And, and, and Paul says, they're getting sick. They're, some of them are even dying. God's trying to get their attention to stop the way they're going. He's using sickness as a form of discipline. Yet, when we do confess our sin, God will forgive us, and oftentimes He will heal us in the process. So God can use sickness in our life to humble us, to discipline us. And thirdly, He may use sickness in our lives to strengthen us spiritually and to minister to those around us. See, some people think, well, it's always sin in your life, that's why you're, you're not healed. That's true, sin can, can cause illness in your life, but you can't say that's always the case. I think of the guy that was born blind in John chapter 9 and the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we have this theological question for you. This is paraphrased. What about this man's blindness? Is he blind because his parents sinned or is he blind because he sinned? Now think about that for a moment. He was born blind. If he sinned, then he would have to have sinned in the womb to be born blind. How do you do that? Punch mom or something and it caused her bladder. I don't know. But they're asking this question. Why is this man sick? Because of his sin or because of his mom or dad's sin? And Jesus says, you guys aren't getting it. You're improperly discerning here. The sickness is there for the glory of God. You see, he's sick because God is going to get the glory for it. I think of Johnny Erickson. At 17 years old, she was in a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. It's been 56 years since her accident, and today she still doesn't walk. But who gets the glory? God does. God has used her mightily from her wheelchair. There are all sorts of people that God uses mightily that have disabilities. I, I, I test my wife was one of them. In a wheelchair since she was 15 years old from a car accident. And I can attest to you that God has used her life mightily. Again, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't praying for her healing. I came to know the Lord. Again, like the Apostle Paul, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient because my strength has been made perfect in your weakness. We don't always know how God's going to work and what God is going to do. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. It just means we should trust God for the outcome. And I do believe we must offer up as much faith as we can and pray in the name of Jesus and believe that God can do it, that God can heal and God will heal. But I always like to add a, a P.S. on the end of the prayer. You know, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Some say, well, you can't pray like that. that. That kind of disqualifies your prayer. No, it doesn't. Just following the example of Jesus. Jesus prayed three times in the garden to take that cup from him. From him and, and then he said, if it is not possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus just gave it all up to the Father. So when we pray, we pray for a healing, we must recognize that sometimes God is going to say, say no. But He has a purpose in mind. And His purposes are always for good. So, our four points. Number one, we're to pray when we're afflicted. Number two, we're to pray when we're sick. Number three now, we are to pray when we are corrupted by sin. Look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we're to pray when we're corrupted by sin. James is now moving away from the ministry of the elders, and he's talking about sharing one with another the struggles that we are going through, the, the, the problems that we're facing. And that doesn't mean we need to go broadcasting to everybody all of our faults, all of our sins. We need to use some common sense. But we should have some people around us who we can share with, who we can pray with. It's good not to go to the extremes, broadcast to everybody every lousy sin you've done, or to not tell anyone at all. If you're struggling in an area of weakness, if there's an area of sin that you need prayer for, then telling somebody that can keep it in confidence, that will actually pray for you, is so important. It can help in so many ways. They can say, man, I know what you're going through. I've gone through this in my life, and this is what God has shown me. See, you're not the only one that struggles with the things you're struggling with. Don't believe the eyes, the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants you to go, you're the only one, and you call yourself a Christian. How could you do something like that? How you, man, don't go to church. Don't be, you shouldn't, shouldn't even show your face around other Christians. That's a lie from the enemy. Don't do it. Now, we need to find somebody to pray with, but we need to be careful and we need to be discerning. I've shared this before. Recently, the three pastors wanted to confess their sins one to another. And the first one said, I struggle with alcohol. I actually have a pint of whiskey hidden in my cupboard in my house. They all said, well, we'll pray for you, brother. Second one said, well, I, I struggle with gambling. I can't wait to, when I'm out speaking somewhere to go to the casinos where no one knows me and gamble. Oh, they, they all say, oh, we'll pray for you, brother. The third one says, well, I struggle with gossip and I can't wait to tell someone about your gambling and alcohol problem. We need to be careful and we need to be discerning. But we need, to, we need those we can pray with and confide in and have accountability with. Because when we do confess our trespasses to one another, it helps us to realize, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, what you're struggling with right now, what sin you may be dealing with right now, someone else dealt with the same exact thing. And maybe they're currently dealing with the same thing. You may say, well, Pastor, how do you know? You don't know where I'm blowing it. No, I don't. And I really don't want to know, but it's something that, 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 that you're not the only one that had to deal with this. All temptation, he says, is common to man. It's common. Again, it means that there's others out there who experience the same thing that you're going through. So don't be afraid to confess one to another. They can help. And know that God will give you a way to escape so you don't fall in that area again. just need to be obedient to take that way of escape. And then, that's why James goes on in verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man Avails much. I like that. Effective prayer. Fervent prayer. Praying with energy. So many times when people pray today, as if they're depressed. Oh God, the world is such a horrible way. It's dark. It's depressing. Save the world. Stop. We serve a God of all creation, the one who made heaven and earth, the one who holds the universe in his hands. The one who says, come to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. So we need to, to pray with excitement, not with apathy, not with complacency. Oh, Lord, heal that person. Save the world. Keep everyone safe. No, that's not a fervent prayer. 
That's a, a fickled, weak, failing prayer is what it is. Guaranteed to fail. I like James because he brings up this guy that, that's really a prayer warrior. He says, an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You say, oh, that's a problem. I'm not righteous. You're right. You're not. <laughs> but Jesus is. And those of us who have put our faith in Christ, he has imputed his righteousness to us, into our account. Now, it's like having a, a, my righteousness is like a bank account that was overdrawn. Insufficient funds. No way of making it up. And suddenly Christ makes this huge deposit of his righteousness into my account. And now I'm a gazillionaire of righteousness. <laughs> but it's not mine. It's all his. So because of his righteousness, I'm a righteous man and my effective, fervent prayer is going to avail much. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, tells us, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I'm praying based off of the righteousness of Christ. And then to really make his point, James then uses the example of Elijah. Powerful man, used mightily by the Lord. And yet when we think of Elijah, we think of this giant of a guy. But notice what James says of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I mean, here was a man known for, for special acts of courage and dramatic miracles. When I think of Elijah, I, I remember him out running a chariot, raising the dead, resting in the wilderness, and the first guy to get Grubhub. I mean, right then when, when the ravens came and fed him right where he's at. We read him calling fire down from heaven, stopping the rain with his prayers. I think it's kind of hard for us to look at him and go, oh, that's just another, another human. He's, he seems superhuman. But James picks him out. One of the most dramatic prophets, and that tells us, hey, he was just a man like you and I, with a nature just like ours. Well, how do we know that? Well, think about that great contest that he had with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. And after he said, well, you call on your God, and then I will call on my God, and the God who's the true God will answer by fire. Of course, they called on their God all day long and nothing happened. Then Elijah cried out to our God and fire came down and not only consumed the sacrifice, but also the prophets of Baal were killed right there on the spot. And the people all cried in unison, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. But the very same Elijah, the guy that called fire down from heaven, ran like a little puppy between, with his tail between his legs when he heard that the wicked queen Jezebel was so outraged by his actions that she was going to have him killed. In fact, she said in 1 Kings 19.1, May the gods deal with me and ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the lives of those you killed. What does this great man Elijah do? It says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And then it says that he said to the Lord, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father. Lord, I just want to die. I mean, he's freaking out. How could he go from such extremes? One minute, this all-powerful trust in the Lord, and the next minute, fearful, running for his life, wanting to die. Just like all of us, like passions, as he says. He experienced fear. He experienced anxiety. He experienced vulnerability. In fact, at one point in his life, he was quite depressed. And even in his depression, the Lord came to him and basically said, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get up. Get something to eat. I have more work for you to do. And as he did, as he followed the Lord, Elijah accomplished great things for the Lord. But here's my point. If a man like that 
with all that weakness, could still muster up the faith to believe God for great things, surely we could do the same thing. This brings us to our final point. Number four, we should pray when we have specific needs. Look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now the drought that's spoken of here was all a result of Israel's disobedience to the Lord. God had told Elijah to speak to Israel, tell them it's not going to rain, and the rain stopped. But now it was time for the rain to return. So after this great contest with the prophets of Baal, before Jezebel was out to get him, Elijah went up and prayed for rain. Now I might add that this prayer was not some laid-back prayer request. Oh, Lord, don't you think it's about time it rains again? It would be nice. No, he put his heart into it. It says that he earnestly, passionately poured out his heart to heaven. In fact, 1 Kings 18.42 says that he cast himself upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Can you just picture that? Just bowing down before the Lord, pouring everything into it. Oh God, please Lord, please do this thing. Send this rain. And then we read that the servant came back to him and said, hey, there's a cloud. And it's about the size of a man's hand. It's a pretty small cloud. So Elijah kept praying. And the cloud grew and built and soon it began to rain. And God answered and he kept praying and praying and soon it was a Missouri thunderstorm just coming down like crazy, pouring down rain. Elijah did not give up. And we need to remember to do the same. Sometimes when we're praying, we we see a cloud like the size of a man's hand, so to speak, and we, we see a partial answer. Maybe you're praying really, really consistent for this, this person who's got a really hard heart towards the Lord. And you're sitting seeing just a little bit of softening going on in their life. You go, man, they, they seem to be listening to God's word. The, uh, the gospel seems to be going, getting their hearts. Listen, keep praying for them. Maybe you've been praying for a healing and the person gets a little bit better but not completely better. Keep praying. Maybe it's for provision in your life. You get some of the provision, but not all of it. Don't give up. Keep praying. That cloud may grow. That answer may come in God's timing. So pray with fervor. Pray with passion. Pray specifically. If you have a specific need, be specific about it. So often, again, you hear people so general, God, save the world. Save the lost people. Really? Pray Pray specifically. Elijah prayed specifically for rain and God answered. And I have to tell you, in this last year, in this fellowship, we have seen God do some amazing answers to prayers that we've been praying for. I think of my second cousin, Barbara, and God healing her of her cancer. Just, it's gone. I think of our friend, Tom Moore. If you know Tom, who fell off his truck, I got the phone call that doesn't, there's brain damage. It doesn't look like he's ever going to come out of this coma. It, it, it looks like he's, he's done. We just need to see what we can do and contact family and all that. We took the prayers of church and he's healed. Back in church first service this morning, God answers prayer. I think of our own Pastor Bruce's son, Jonathan. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for healing for him. And God gave Jonathan the ultimate healing by taking him home to be with him. James says, pray fervently, pray continually, pray specifically, don't give up. That's what's being said here. Pray with agony, pray with energy. Pour your heart into it. Pray, 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 and pray some more. Now as we close, we come to James's closing thoughts. 
He's concerned with the believer who's walked away from the Lord. You know, maybe they didn't get that healing. Maybe something happened and go, that's it. I'm not going to ask God. I'm walking away from the Lord. Look at verse 19 through 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What's interesting is that word for wander. It means to stop believing what is true and start believing what is false. This then speaks of a believer who started out believing the truth, has now turned from it, and is now believing what is false. Not the other way around. I grew up in a religion that taught me that, that taught me things that are false. That I can work my way into heaven. That if I just do enough good things, then, then my wife would be healed, and if and I could secure my place in heaven. That's not true at all. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's only through the verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word, the Bible, that I found the truth. That God's Word is truth. I went from that which is false to that which is true. But James is talking about the other way around. Those who once knew the truth, but now are believing what is false. False. What do you do with such a person? Should we confront them? Should we just let them go and leave them alone? No, James says we should care enough about them to turn them back. Paul gives us a little more insight into the same subject in Galatians 6.1 when he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We all have the ability to fall. We all have that vulnerability if we yield to it. We all have the potential to do the worst possible thing. As the old hymn writer wrote, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We have that tendency to wander. Paul says, listen, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Reach out to that person in order to help them, in order to lift them up, not with some holier-than-thou attitude, arrogance, but with a general understanding and compassion. Why? Because one day it could be you. It could be me. That's why we need to lovingly and humbly reach out to those and try to bring them back in humility and meekness. And listen, before you even head in that direction towards correction, pray, 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 and pray some more. So finally, are you in trouble or distress? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Do you need to confess sin? Confess it. Pray. Do you know someone that is strayed for their faith? Pray for them. Reach out to them. And finally, most importantly, when God does answer our prayers, do not forget to thank Him with the same fervor you prayed for the answer in the first place. You know, we're coming up to Thanksgiving, almost a week and a half away. So much to be thankful for. I think of the ten men in Luke chapter 17 who had leprosy. And they cried out to Jesus for healing. And Jesus answered their prayer and healed all ten of them. But only one came back to thank the Lord. And Jesus said in Luke 17, 17 and 18, Were there not ten cleansed, but were there the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Make sure whether God heals you or not that you're always giving thanks to Him for all things. We're told that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Finally, one last thing. The ultimate healing in our lives is being forgiven for our sins. And if you've never come to Jesus Christ and said, I'm sorry for my sin, Come to Him directly 
and prayed, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. Thank you that you rose again from the grave. Thank you that you took my penalty upon yourself for my sin. Forgive me, Lord. I give my life to you now. I want to submit my life to you. If you've never done that, that's the only way you're going to get a healing. That's the only way you're going to have forgiveness. That's the only way that you can be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You've got to come to Jesus Christ on His terms. And say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Turn from it and commit your life to Him. He'll forgive you. He'll answer that prayer. I assure you with 100% based on the Word of God, you give your life to Christ, He will forgive you. He will cleanse you of every sin you've ever committed. So if you're here this morning and you've never cried out to the Lord, now is the time of salvation. Salvation Today is the day. I encourage you, make that step of faith to Him today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of prayer. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, first and foremost, who have never given their lives to you, they're not born again today, Lord, but they want to have this relationship with you as we talk about this morning, this, this, this close, intimate relationship with you. We know, Lord, that it comes first by coming to you in repentance of our sin. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has not made that step, that they would do so right now, that they would ask you, Lord, to forgive them of their sin and find that forgiveness and give their life to you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Christ? This is just between you and the Lord. If you just raise your hand so I, I can pray for you if you want to give your life to Christ this morning. Anybody at all? Father God, we thank you that you are God that answers our prayers. And I do pray, Lord, if there's a need for a physical healing here, Lord, that you would provide that. Maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's, it's spiritual, Lord. We just need that healing, Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much, Lord. And we have your righteousness, Lord. So we pray for one another. We confess our faults. We confess our sins to you. We ask that you do a healing, a work in our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I stand.